Hello, my friends. This is life coach Mike Trugman, and welcome to an episode of Mike's Search for Meaning. I'm after some big questions. Why are we here? What makes a fulfilling life? How can we grow individually and collectively? Each episode, I'll dive deep with leaders who are doing great work in the world and see how they organize their life. Books read, value systems, resources used, and stories that show how each of you can create the life and the world of your dreams. My guest today is Orlando Bishop. Orlando is a performance coach, the founder of Align Performance, and host of the podcast Unstuck AF. And in this conversation, we really explore one of the questions that Orlando lives into, how can we be great? He works with lots of different types of leaders, and you'll see from his background that he worked in film for a little bit, he's done some stand-up comedy, he coaches sports, and he has a wonderful synthesis of different tools. We unpack what it means to be a good listener versus when to be more directive. And another thing that I just want to name in this conversation is we mentioned Seth Godin a lot, who is a leader that we both admire and is how Orlando and I met. We joined a podcasting workshop through a company called Akimbo that Seth Godin started. And Akimbo is a platform that has many different workshops. Seth is a marketing expert. So there's podcasts, the one that we joined together, and there's all sorts of other courses. We make lots of references to Akimbo. And if we get lost in the weeds a little bit here and there, it's only for at most a minute or two. So I ask you to stay with it. There's lots and lots of gems that Orlando brings into this conversation. It was really a pleasure for me to just ask a couple of questions and sit back and let him kind of riff on what leadership means to him. And another thing that we really explored that I'm interested in is having multiple different identities. Because Orlando wears so many hats, he has had trouble placing himself in where do I really belong? And that has manifest in several ways, one of them being that he is a black man that went to a mostly white school, then he went to a mostly white university in Yale, and we unpack what that's meant for him in his life. So this is really a a multifaceted conversation that I'm so excited for you to listen to. Let's settle in, take a deep breath, and enjoy what Orlando has for us today. All right, Orlando, welcome to the show, my friend. How's it going, Mike? It's really, really good to be here, and I appreciate you having me. Yeah, it's great to be with you here. It, it's great to see you again. And you I've been I've been really excited to have you on. I, we were just saying before we hit record, I yeah. from day one when we did Seth's Akimbo podcast workshop together, mm-hmm. I have felt a kinship with you. I, I've yep. always felt received by you, mm-hmm. and you, you have a really good way of seeing other people. And I wanted to start with you around every interview I've been asking my guests, what was it like at your dinner table growing up? Mm -hmm. And with you, I'm interested in that. And I'm also interested in like, what did you want to be when you were a kid? What did you want to be when you grew up? I guess I'll I'll do that first part first. And I guess there there are a couple pieces to it that are interesting. But uh, we... As a family, my parents got divorced when I was like five. So I lived with my mom and my sister pretty much. And so 
we didn't generally do the dining room table dinner thing. Now, what's interesting about that is that periodically my mother would sort of lament that and sort of, you know, I think she felt some guilt around that, but it just wasn't our natural rhythm. So a lot of times it was, even if we ate together, it was sort of like heading to the kitchen and everybody getting their food. Um, sometimes my mother would, you know, serve out the food, but then we'd, you know, head to the living room, sometimes watch TV, sometimes not, but it was, it wasn't a lot of gathering around the table as such and then as we got to be teenagers and you know i'm getting home from my sports practices at seven whatever and my sister's getting home at her time and my mother's getting home at her, you know then it became even more kind of like every 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 person for themselves but yeah we didn't we didn't do a ton of that now what's sort of interesting about that uh, for me at least <laughs> i guess you'll you'll decide if it's really interesting but um my my reverend i was very close with my reverend going up and we're actually still really tight we talk very regularly text probably more days than not and he started to have my family over with his family and it would always be different configurations of people for thanksgiving and so in a way thanksgiving thanksgiving is my favorite holiday because of that it's just memories of that and his table came in a way like a placeholder of of that in a way for us, I guess. And so luckily, you know, we're able to get together. He lives in Chicago. My wife's from Chicago and I went to visit him. We've done it before with our kids now. So with my wife and twin 16 year olds. And I was able to say to them as we pulled out the table and he's kept this table in great shape all this time. I go, I ate thanks when I was your age, like truly when I was your age, I ate Thanksgiving dinner off this table. And uh, yeah, that was kind of a cool moment. So it's not quite, you know, dinner when I was a kid, but I think yeah. it's it's a related uh, idea. Uh, and then you, oh, and you asked what I want to be when I grow up. Yes. So I actually very clearly, uh, I was a huge Yankee fan, huge baseball fan as a kid. I'm not that way now, but as a kid, you know, I could tell you not only who played shortstop, not even for just for the Yankees, who I love, but for the Royals picking a yeah. random team. But I could probably tell you within a pretty decent margin of error what their batting average was. I mean, I was like super into baseball. So I was going to be a Yankees pitcher. And uh, it was very clear to me that was what I was going to be. I remember even being in my living room and they had these action pictures in the uh program guide for the Yankee games, you know, that they sell there when you're there. And uh, they had a sort of action photo of Ron Guidry's delivery. And I remember laying it out and then trying to mimic it over and over in my living room. But he was lefty and I was righty, but still. And I was was like, how does he do it? You know? So yeah, I was going to be a, I was going to be a pitcher for the Yankees. Yeah. (laughs) I love it. So I'm, I'm interested in, you brought up the Reverend, and I've actually heard you speak about him in mm-hmm. other podcasts before. Mm. Was it you that took to him first or vice versa? And what do you think informed mm. that initial bond? And, and what did you learn most from him? He seems like he was a pretty instrumental figure in, in the way that you are today. Absolutely. So yes, absolutely uh, instrumental. And it's funny because I, I say about him, like, you know, I think the simplest shorthand, if I'm talking to somebody, it's not going to be extended conversation. So I say, oh, is it like kind of like a second dad to me or an uncle? But it really is a very specific and special relationship. Like, it's hard for me to even, like, I don't know that the word exists in English 
for what we are. And I have a really close friend. We're the same age and went through a lot of the same things together. And so it's really the three of us. And so even to this day, we every actually tonight, I will be on a Zoom call with the two of them that we do every couple of weeks. And then, like I said, we're constantly texting each other and, you know, all, all that. So that's that's sort of that relationship. In terms of how it started, I know my mom wanted to get us going to church. It was really important to her. She grew up in church. My grandfather had like started, I think, two different churches and you know my mother was the kind of person you could call at some random hour and say hey there was a story about a guy who like walks to the side of the road and says but she'd be like oh yeah that's in you know ephesians 6 or whatever she'd say and you'd be like (laughs) so she it was really important to her she had stopped going to church at, at one point when i was little but then it was important to her as we were getting older that we had a church home and so that was what drove her to visit this church in the neighborhood and i think i don't know this for sure my reverend ran what was you know the sunday school then so maybe that was part of it but i think more so for me my memory of it is that he had a bible study that that my mom decided to go to whatever night of the week that was and it met in his office and i remember we literally just started at like genesis chapter one verse one and just started and I remember when Adam and Eve were put out of the Garden of Eden, blah, blah, blah. They bump into some other people. And I remember to this day, and I was kind of young to have this thought about him, but I guess. But remember to him, him pointing it out, one, and saying, so what's that all about? Basically, what's that all about? If these are the only people, what's that all about? And he couldn't have known it at the time, but it made me totally trust him on questions of religion. Like I was a kid, but there was something really cool about the guy who's like supposed to be, you know, the standard bearer going, let's not get carried away here with this. There's truth with a capital T Mm -hmm. that we're gonna talk about, but there was also stories here that don't all quite line up quite right. And let's be honest about that. And um. To this day, I tell him I joke with him because I don't go to church regularly anymore. And I really don't identify as a Christian anymore. But I tell him, like, I'm like, well, you ruined me. <laughs> you know, you, you're the one who, like, stood up there and told the truth and wrestled with questions. And yeah, so <clears throat> I think that was a big piece. And then as I was going, he tells a story. So this might be the one he would pick. We had acolytes. Uh, you know, and uh, at the time, our church was really small. So this guy who was like the organist grandson would like go up and like light the candle and like drag the, I forget what that thing is called, but you know, that the, that lighter thing back down the aisle. And it was all very like, like beyond informal, to, I guess, to my, again, kind of young eye to care. And uh, apparently, I don't really remember him, this as much as I remember him telling me this, but I walked into his office at whatever age I was, 10, 11, 12, and I went, we got to do something about the acolytes. <laughs> so that was my first like foray, I guess, in the leadership since we're on the topic. That was he. I ended up being in charge of the acolytes, and I just—I mean, I was a kid, and he, you know. But I'd meet with him, and I decided, you know, I want it to be like this, and I want there to be a schedule. And then it turned into like we got like a robe because he'd just go up there and whatever he was wearing, and I was like, nope, we're gonna, you know, the people who go up there, the choir has a robe and you have a robe. I was like, the acolyte's going to have a robe and then the acolyte's going to stay up there during the service. 
And so then I, you know, I led that and, you know, for years after, I don't know what they're doing now. It's been a long time, but for years after that, it was that way. And uh, he, he, he likes to tell that story about me marching into his office and demanding change. <laughs> yeah. So that, that does seem to inform a couple of things about you. Mm -hmm. One is it seems like you've always been at least curious about leadership, if not stepping into being a leader mm -hmm. from a very young age. And the other thing that it highlights for me is that you like to challenge things and you don't just accept <laughs> just because someone said it in yeah. the past doesn't mean that it's absolutely true. Absolutely. And you seem to do that without being some sort of absolute relativist who just questions everything all the mm. time. And that's an interesting, we might hmm. circle back to how yeah. that shows up in your life, but yeah. I'm more curious to see how you developed as a leader as you started to actually step into like going to college and as yeah. you began your career, what did, what did leadership look like at that point in your life and how were you igniting that for yourself? Yeah, well, not to linger there, but I'll say I went to, um, I went to this private high school in Brooklyn, Poly Prep, and uh, I started doing student government there. And I and, and the one I guess one story I will tell is uh, I was in eighth grade. We're gonna go to ninth grade, and uh, this guy John Sue, great guy, and um, everybody loved him. And he was gonna run for uh, president of the freshman class because it was seventh through twelfth in the building, or fifth through twelfth, excuse me. And then so he was running on a post because everybody liked John, and sure John can be president, whatever. And I still remember my dean coming to me and being like, "Why aren't you running?" you know because John's running he's got it you know and she said oh you should run and I ended up winning and I'm really glad that she she pushed me to do that maybe she saw that I maybe needed to see myself more that way like not just someone who could be a leader amongst friends but like who in an official way yeah. could step up and lead I think that all played in a lot and then sort of over the course of high school there was more and more of that. We created what was called the anti-bias coalition, which there was a lot of pushback against. So I sort of became a leader on that front. And I think over time, I really, I, I enjoyed stepping into those roles and saying, yeah, come on, let's go, let's go this way. Or things can be, things can, let's make things as good as they can be. Maybe that's as, as so in college, one thing I'd point to is, was after the uh, Rodney King verdict. So I'm, you know, it's my sophomore year. And my girlfriend at the time and I were just incensed, like so many people, and the riots were already happening, and uh, the uprising. Um, I don't mind calling them riots because sometimes you got to riot. And then, <laughs> but uh, we decided, like, no, nah, this is this is uh, this is bullshit, man. Like, this, this is ridiculous. And we knew that the next day there was going to be—I want to say it was a Yale Corporation, or certainly it was like the board, like whatever the trustees, somebody was going to be on campus, and we knew it. And so we organized on Friday, we organized a rally, and then we decided we're going to do a big rally tomorrow. And a bunch of our friends, like we just, like it snowballed. But I still remember it wasn't, the spirit of it wasn't that different than when I walked into my reverend's office. And we were just mm -hmm. like, Yale is a place that can say something and people who won't listen because i said something will listen because you said something and and funny and so we did it we had a huge rally there were all these people leading it i'm not pretending i was you know once we got the ball rolling like 
folks came in. And, and that's another thing I like about leading is it doesn't have to be just because you're the quote leader or you started, you don't have to do everything. Like that's, yeah, I'm, I'm a big stone soup kind of guy. Like, you know, everybody throw your stuff in. It'll, the soup will be great. But I still remember my, I didn't even know this at the time, but uh, one of my deans from my high school was also a Yale alum. And years later, he told me he couldn't believe it. He shows up on Yale's campus and he looks up and it was me and it was my friend Rasan from high school who also went to Yale and my friend Diane from high school went to Yale. He goes, I look up and it's the three of you, the leaders in high school and you show up at Yale and you were the leaders there in front of that big, he was so pleased that, you know, that we had uh, stepped in, stepped into that. And then I guess the other thing I would point to, and I didn't think of it this way at the time, but I joined a singing group. Actually, that's where I met my wife. So lucky for me, I joined the singing group. Yeah. And uh, acapella singing group, which that's a pretty big, acapella singing is pretty big at Yale. And, but this group was like the multicultural in quotes group. It was really a black group in many ways. Um, in terms of the music and so on. And this was only going to be their third year. So they were getting their, you know, the group Shades was just getting its legs under itself. And I I never thought of it this way. I loved being in the group and I felt like we grew a lot when I was in there. That was great. But uh, I was speaking to the founder one day and she said to me that she felt me joining the group was like one of the early turning points in the group and that she felt like I brought like a swagger, you know, I'm one you know, football player in high school, blah, blah, I guess I just had an attitude about me. And she said she felt I brought a swagger to the group that kind of shifted sort of where our place was going to be or was was at that point in terms of the campus, in terms of the singing groups, in terms of us sort of planting our flag. So I'm, I'm, I appreciated her saying it, but it made me think again that I sort of naturally step into that i sort of naturally say like all right well how can we be great I guess that's a that's a question that's always been fascinating to me how can we be great and in all parts of my life i think if you were to look for a theme that's that's definitely a theme how can we be great and where did that take you in terms of what you wanted to do professionally outside of college. Like it, it's yeah. very clear that whatever you were doing, you were going to be a leader, mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. where did, where did you end up planting that flag at least initially, initially professionally? Yeah. So when I was in high school, uh, the story I, I, I tell them my show too. Um, but, uh, when I was in high school, I went to see my 17th birthday. Actually, I figured out years later, I was like, Oh yeah, it was on my birthday. Um, but anyway, I went to see Do the Right Thing. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, I'll be a lawyer, you know, pretty good with words, blah, blah, blah. Lawyer, that sounds like a pretty respectable thing to be. I'm going to be a lawyer. I'll be a corporate lawyer. I decided I'm going to be a corporate lawyer. And I went to see Do the Right Thing and immediately, like, immediately was like, I want to do that. And so that really turned my attention to film. Uh, I went to, then I met uh, in college, I met my buddy Damani Mangum. And then we decided we were going to be together. So we like did music videos in college and all this stuff. But that was the direction I was going. I wrote my first screenplay when I was like 19 years old. And then um, just continued in that direction. I actually ended up going to uh, USC Film School, the producing program, the Peter Stark program. And I, you know, I directed a film in 2018 called Dinner for Two. Anybody out there who watches TV One, you might have you seen it. And uh, I've done some other work and wrote for TV a little bit.
then the short version is, you know, a lot of ups and downs in that business and too many, too many downs when you've got twins uh, doesn't work out. So that's when I decided to figure out what was next. And the short, seriously short version now is that uh, I, that is what ended me ultimately doing the coaching that I do. And now that's really the center of my life is aligned performance. Uh, and I work with people to develop strategy. I work with people to execute on their strategy. And it's in a funny way, it was the same theme I told you a minute ago. It's how can we be great? And I, I think that my clients appreciate that. That's what I want for them. Like whatever your great looks like, like I, I've helped people do very different things. I, it, it truly doesn't matter. Like I, I probably wouldn't, you know, help you figure out how to, you know, create a trafficking ring or anything, but like within, within the realm of, uh, some of, of moral, whatever it is that you feel is your greatness, like let's get to bringing it out. And even if you're like, if you're not sure what that greatness is, I've done that work with people where we just really sit and go through it and, and find out, okay, so what do you want to do? And, uh, I love it. I really do. Yeah. Yeah. So from here, I actually want to backpedal a mm -hmm. little bit into the abstract of what leadership means to you, because this is something we started talking about a little bit before mm -hmm. with mm -hmm. like, how does someone lead themselves, maybe also mm. lead a group of people and mm -hmm. um, even maybe the most effective type of leader like Seth Godin, we were talking mm -hmm. about is someone who can create the container for the leadership yes. to just unfold without having to be super present. And mm -hmm. you could take that in whatever direction you feel called to, but like, yeah, but yeah. Where, yeah. What is that? What shows up for you? when I lay it out like that. So I guess like, there are a few things. One thing is I've, I've always been fascinated by people who could lead. I remember like watching, you know, somebody come to do a sermon at our church, I'd really watch them like it wasn't like just like listen to the sermon. like I'd be like, Oh, like, look how they so you know, I became a bit of a speaker. But in a way, looking back, I'm like, well, of course you did. You were studying them. So like things that you learn watching them, you, you, you did you applied. And when I was in high school, I went through a stage of listening to a lot of speeches. My, my high school was predominantly white. And, you know, here I am, this black kid from Flatbush, and I did well there, but definitely I was aware of, was aware I was different in that way. Mm -hmm. I, I say it that way. And not to say I wasn't accepted there, but I was aware I was different in that way. And I really started to listen to speeches by different black leaders. So I like, I listened to Dr. King, I listened to Malcolm X, I listened to Farrakhan. Um, I have a whole thing I can talk about Farrakhan, man. He drives me nuts. But anyway, but the, but my thing is that I I think I, I really started to tap me into well, what are they doing? Like, how what is it that Malcolm X was doing when he was speaking that's getting people so riled up listening to him that they'll go take action? I was always sort of fascinated by the person who could do that, who could say a thing and fill people up, and whether it was our football coaches before a big game or it was like I just was always fascinated by like how I could have a feeling and transfer it to you <laughs> that was always yeah. super fascinating to me like how do they do that like how do they do that um and so it makes sense that you know I went in that direction and in terms of so listening to those speeches all that stuff mattered to me 
And sports really mattered to me a lot when I was a kid. Like I said, I loved baseball. Over the years that I moved in high school, I moved more to being like a, a football fan, a basketball fan. I played both in high school, a captain of the track team I loved. And I, again, found that part fascinating. I found the strategy fascinating. I found that idea that like your team has a bad half and you got to figure out not just what to do, which you have to figure out, but you have to figure out what to say to them. You have to figure out like, how am I going to get them back out on that field doing what I need them to do so we can get the win or at the very least play in a better, you know, a better half than we played in the first half. And I, so yeah, I, I just, I, I, I think I, I pull a lot from there and from the sports coaching, which I do my, I've done myself over the years, but I pull a lot from there in the other realms. And so other places I've, I've coached, there's part of the sports coach in me yeah. too, that comes through and comes out. And that some of the principles I learned there around like trying to keep things simple trying to have trying to always find like a phrase that represents all that stuff that just a quick example i would uh talk to kids i love coaching defense and i i started this whole flag football program at my kids school and i would always talk to kids about don't you don't run where they are you run where they're going and in this championship game, I was listening to the, to the uh, you know, watching the video after this championship game, the last, actually the last game I coached for them. And uh, you could just hear me going, where she's going, where she's going, where she's going. And you see the girl like adjust and make the play. Uh-huh. And it was just like this great fun moment for me of like, I had instilled it. I had, I had communicated it enough times. You don't have time to, you know, teach a physics lesson in the middle of a play. And so there's a, you know, you gotta, you gotta help them, you know, have those cues of like that. So that's helped me with other types of leadership where I will crystallize what it is I'm trying to, and I'll work at it. Like they don't know I'm working at it, but I, but I work really hard at thinking about, well, how do, what's the phrase I could use for them? What's the thing they could hold on to that will mean that when I need them to understand it and that's it that will mean that. And so, uh, yeah, that served, that served me really well. Uh-huh. And yeah. from like, uh, the abstract, I, I wanted to really get into the, like how Seth Godin creates such a, a warm environment in his workshops and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. how people, we didn't, we haven't spoken about this, but Alcoholics Anonymous is something that comes to mind mm. for me too, of an organization that is completely decentralized and mm-hmm. and gets excellent results and functions mm-hmm. with lots of leaders who are empowered without the creator having to be fully present and yes. that is that's something that i struggle a lot with but i am very hands on and mm. i can do a lot of things by myself but yeah. i'm i'm really interested like one of the next edges for me would be to take a step back and let other people do what they do great I'll do what I do great. And yeah, just like, could, could you speak a little bit to that? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I want to come back to Seth, but with what you just said, yeah, so yeah. We, we, as you pointed out, we met in the podcasting workshop. And so this second season, for a number of reasons, there's some things I'm doing to expand Align Performance, and we can talk about that too. But editing the, the podcast 
just wasn't going to fit or or some other part of what I was doing wasn't going to fit. And it just so I've now engaged an editor and hired an editor to edit. But and I, but what I realized and I had to really walk myself through was you can give thoughts and guidance, but at the end of the day, and I know this from entertainment stuff or whatever, the, my editor is not going to edit it exactly as I would have. And I have to, I have to accept that. Like, and, and it may seem like, well, yeah, but I mean, but I controlled it the first season. Mm-hmm. Every splice was, that was because I decided it was there. The 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 exact moment a piece of music started is because I decided that's where it yeah. started. And being able to release, and I'm work, I'm now aware that that's what I'm working on. But I'm working on, you know, no, you got to hand it over. And if you don't hand it over some of the other things that you've been wanting that you want to turn your attention to and that frankly can help you build the business and help more people will get ignored because you're insisting that the only the only spot in the universe where that music can start is there and you know that's <laughs> not true you know so it's interesting for me to be going through that right now but I'll say about Seth and this when we were talking earlier it struck me I hadn't thought about it in quite these terms is that Seth sets a tone and and really has provided like even provided it's almost like allowed for a culture of generosity of taking action of challenging our ideas and he is able to allow it he's able to foster it without imposing it Mm. And I'm really impressed by that. I'm really impressed by the idea that you just you just set the tone and you're consistent. You talk about generosity. You talk about go go go. Right? You, you yes. you're always taking the thing I think I've seen and I know, and you you turn it upside down. I go, oh my god, oh, I never saw it that way before. Mm-hmm. And just over and over and over again to where that's the culture. And now I feel like I even respond to people. And I've, you know, I've taught, I've done all this stuff. And I find I even respond to people's posts. I'm doing the marketing seminar now, back helping with the podcasting workshop. And the way I think about responding has shifted. And it's impacted by thinking about questions, thinking about not necessarily just sharing my thought, but thinking about where you're going and what thoughts of yours can I help to spark to help you move forward, right? So it's one thing to say like, hey, I think if you turn the music up, it's another thing for me to ask, well, what do you, what are you trying to accomplish mm-hmm. with the music? And, and I feel like so much of that comes from Seth, but again, not in an overbearing way. And even, you know, he's talked about, he, he, he stepped back and in terms of, you know, Kimbo and so on, but the, but the spirit of it is still there. And to me, that is the ultimate in leadership. Customato has a quote trainer who trained uh you know Mike Tyson, Floyd Patterson and he uh he he had his own special style and all this stuff. But what he said was, I don't succeed when I get a guy to be a champion. I succeed when I get a guy to be a champion and he can do it independent of me. Mm. And I was like, wow. Like at once there's the ego there and the confidence there of 
I know I can create champions and I know I can create independent, right? Like, so there is a certain level of self-assuredness in there, but there's such a profound, in my opinion, profound humility too, that at some point you're not going to need me anymore. And that's good. Yeah. Right. And I think that's really exciting. And I always say if, if, if Cuss, this is really taking us off, but if Cuss, or maybe not, but if Cuss had lived another five years, I think Mike Tyson's life goes completely differently. I think Cuss died like he wasn't quite done with Mike. And then Cuss died and other people came into the mix and, 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 and it went, it, it all went, you know, way off the rails. But I, I, I've said it so many times. If, if Cuss lives another five years, I believe Mike Tyson goes down as the best boxer who ever lived. Mm. I really think that. That is a conversation for a different podcast, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I am, I'm fascinated by, like, there's so many things that have come up already that would inform or probably play into the way that you coach folks. Mm-hmm. So you, you are involved with sports. You've been involved with performance. So yeah. singing, doing stand-up comedy, mm-hmm, filming. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now, so one, one of the other things that stood out was the way that you ask questions and get really curious about what someone's intentions are instead of mm-hmm. being directive. I'm curious because like in sports, it seems like one of the hats that you wear is to be very directive and to be, yeah. you know, instill something that they're like, if I don't tell them, it's not, it's not Absolutely. the time to get curious. It's not the time to, <laughs> what, so what were you, what were you seeing there? Right, right, uh, you're right, just, right. You're just telling them like, this is what, this is what I saw go for it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. there's other times where I'm going to land this plane eventually. There's other times where it calls for probably more of a gentleness. Mm-hmm. And you seem to have a really good balance of knowing oh, in yeah. different contexts, like this, this calls for me to be gentle and curious. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. calls for me to be directive. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's other threads that you pull on too. Yeah, yeah. So like, what does that look like in when you're coaching someone one-on-one? Mm. You know, what, like, what are the indicators that you're looking for? And how do you know yeah. when to pull what thread? It's a great question. And, and I'm going to say th- there's some real things I do look for. So I want to, I'm going to acknowledge that, but I'm going to say first, the part that would not be fun to hear i guess for someone else which is that some of it is very intuitive yes some of it is and 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 now i think we develop intuition over the years right so i was also when i was in high school i was always on the phone talking to some friend and looking back i'm like oh yeah i was coaching then we just didn't call it coaching we called calling my friend because i'm upset about something so there so so there's that uh that that plays in i think my okay a few things one is i really try to view my role as my job here is to help you get where you're going that's my job so you being mad at me or not is irrelevant as a matter of fact if you hang up on me never call me back and i read that you got there okay like (laughs) i really you know that's not my hope but my, I want you to get to your greatness, like where, whatever, wherever that is. And so sometimes that, that gives me permission, or I give myself permission 
to, to, to go there to sometimes be tough in a one-on-one or not, right? Either way, sometimes people are plenty tough on themselves. Like I've had more than one client who I've told like, listen, man, I'm not going to sit here and listen to you talk about my friend like that, you know? And they get, and I get a little laugh out of them, but I'm in a way I'm serious. It's like, Hey, you know, I wouldn't let, I wouldn't let anybody else on earth talk about you like that. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to sit here and listen to you talk about you like that. So, you know, let's 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 knock that off right now and, and, and figure out what we want to do. One story that comes to mind, though, that went the sort of in the other direction is very specific. I had a, a colleague and a friend uh, named Gloria and Gloria had uh, she'd had cancer and then she got treatment. She was better and then more cancer. And so, you know, I, I knew that and she called me. And she's basically, she said, you know, I'm deciding the at, the, at that point, it was sort of chemo meant the difference between three months and six months to a year kind of deal. Like it was, that's where we were. And so when she first called, she's like, I'm trying to decide if, you know, if I'm going to do this basically. So at first when we were talking, this is, I mean, it's, this is huge. I mean, this is huge stuff. This isn't exactly like, you know, who should I take yeah. to prom here? And uh, so, all right. So at first I was very like, so how are you, you know, what are you thinking? What are you feeling? And not long into the conversation, she goes, no. Oh, and I'm like, what's up? She goes, I need football coach Orlando. Mm. And I was like, wait, she, cause she wanted to do it. She just was like, <laughs> I don't want to do it. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? And so I said, oh, okay. And then we just approached it from a whole new angle. And I was like, hey, listen to me, Gloria. I said, you fought here. I said, you were in the, you were in the army. So we started talking about some of her army stories, you know, and going into it. And I said, listen, you're going to get off my wall. Because she told me the story about having to get off the wall. You're going to get off my wall, Gloria. Now, here we go, you know. And that was what she needed from me. And it was such a joy, you know. And even toward the, the late, you know, when, when she wasn't doing as well anymore. And, you know, I wrote her and I said, man, you know, I compared it to boxing. I said, here's the thing. Between rounds, the boxer comes back to the corner and they get that minute with their trainer. And I said, while you're here, just rest. I said, but listen, you fighting a beautiful fight, baby. You fighting a beautiful fight. When the when the bell rings, you get back on out there. But you fighting a beautiful fight, and she she appreciated that. We had a nice exchange about that. But um, yeah, I think if you can figure out, it's if you can really begin with the end in mind, which people say all the time. But for me, it's not just the end in mind. You know in that case of, of doing the chemo or starting the business, but the end in mind of like, what, what experience do you want to have, Mike? Who you want to be? Like, how you want to show up? Like when people look at you and you're the owner of this business, okay, great. But like, what else? What, wh- who are you going to be? And if I can participate in helping somebody get there, you know, that, that, that helps me a lot to figure out, okay, we're going to, we're going to ramp it up. We're going to, so today you need a pat on the, as I tell people sometimes, some days you need a pat on the back, other days you need to kick a little lower. We'll, we'll figure it out as we go. There's a, there's a direction I want to go from here, but before that, I'm just, mm-hmm. I'm curious because intuition has been something that I've been exploring a lot more personally lately. Mm-hmm. Is that, is that something that it would be hard to explain for a listener? Like this is, 
I, when I feel this sensation in my body, like maybe that's oh, yeah, yeah. one way or no, that's great. That's a great, it's a great question. I think there's value in that. The more still I can be personally, like not necessarily physically still. And actually I'll throw this in as a quick aside. Zoom has kind of shifted my whole coaching situation because naturally I found out I have ADHD, hyperactivity, blah, blah, blah. So that's a whole other conversation. But naturally, I used to talk to, excuse me, talk to people on the phone. I, I might, I'm listening to you. And when somebody watches me, they're like, this guy, he's just taking people's money. He's a crook. Because I'm like shadow boxing. I'm bouncing a ball off the wall. But I'm listening to you. I am listening. I'm hearing it. And so I don't necessarily mean like physically still. But if you can have that like stillness inside you. I, for me, and I believe it's true for a lot of people, you can really start to pick up that something's not right with a person. Yeah. That, you know, wait a minute, you know, what did that mean? Like, they'll be telling you a story and they throw in some line, you know, like, you know about their mom or this or that or whatever it is. And you're like, whoa, 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 what was that about? Or even what they had for lunch, you know, but you, you, but there's a, there's a quiet that you have to create for yourself so you can hear the other person, not just hear their words with your ears, but like really, to me, to really hear them. It's funny, one of the things that marriage has taught me is that sometimes it's not what the person says is what the person is saying. Yeah. Right, so so my wife might say to me, oh, you worked really late yesterday. <laughs> She's saying, hey, we were supposed to spend some time together, brother, you better figure it out. And like, okay, I got it, you know, like, so I think sometimes if you can get to that stillness yourself and one of the things I'll share too is I really, I try to just be there with you. If I'm coaching you, you might have a different way you talk about things. Some people I talk to, you know, they'll, I have to draw back on my, my church background. They got a lot of Bible story references. Some people sports, some people music, some people don't want to talk about a lot of emotional stuff. They just want to figure out their list of to do's and they want to go do them and then come back and tell me what they did. Um, and if you can be there with them, you know when to go with that. Sometimes you know when to push in the other direction. Like, yeah, I know you don't want to talk about feelings, but your feelings in your way. So we're going to talk about feelings today. But uh, you have to, you, you have to, you do feel it. And for me, oftentimes it's my, it's literally my gut. It's my yeah. solar plexus, especially yep. if something's not right. Mm -hmm. I will feel a physical tightening in my solar plexus and it is, is is an indication to me like something you're 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 noticing something slow down what what is it that you just noticed um i had a story real quick i'll tell you a time that it actually happened yeah. i was talking to a client we're on and we're talking about our job and the plan we were doing and session was going fine normal if you just took a transcript yep yeah, sure and about 15 minutes in, I was like, hey, you know, we can keep having this conversation, but I feel like there's something else going on. And without missing a beat, she goes, my sister called me yesterday and blah, 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 and like started like weeping on the phone. And I was like, whoa, whoa. But it was just, again, I think that stillness, you can, you know, if you just really, really listen to the other person, I think you can pick up on a lot of that. And interestingly, my, my mother used to do that to me. I've struggled with depression over the years and now I have a name for it, anxiety, but you know, like I'd have my ups and my downs and 
I could call my mother and I would prepare myself. I'd be like, all right, you know, don't don't upset her, don't don't worry her. And, you know, she'd pick up, I'm like, hey ma. And literally, what's wrong? Mm. And it'd be like, oh my God, is this woman a witch? What's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> but it but as I get older, it's the listening. It's like the listening past listen, you gotta you have to really still yourself. So the mindfulness has helped me a lot meditation has helped me a lot and when i'm exercising i'm a better coach when i exercise on my own i find i'm i do better coaching and i think all those things help me to quiet down so i can hear them do you have any specific teachers of meditation or types of meditation that you're most drawn to that that help you cultivate that stillness yeah no it's a great question so i had joined a group so we we discuss mindfulness a lot um and and we would do sits that sometimes were guided sort of body scan kind of stuff but then more and more we started to move into some different areas and i found even though i don't do it as much as 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 you would think i found that chanting hmm. was really effective for me and as i thought about it i think it's because it gave my monkey mind something to do yeah. It's like, yeah, go say this so I can <laughs> so I can find the stillness. So I say, like, oh, okay, I'll say this over and over. Like, okay, good. You say that and I'll stay here and 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 uh you know and, and enjoy the stillness. So the the chanting has helped me a lot. But I find the other thing I found was for me, it didn't need to be a big long time. Mm-hmm. And actually I'm I'm more consistent when I remember that. And I'm more consistent when I, you know, will take four minutes and listen to, I have a recording of uh, these people chanting Nam-myoho-renge-kyo. It's really beautiful. And uh, I'll just listen to that. And it's just a little over four minutes. It's not like, you know, I moved to an ashram or something, but all of a sudden I could, I bet, I bet if like medically, like if I were attached to things, they could watch my numbers change as I'm listening to it. Yeah. And um, yeah, so I, I, I find, don't overdo it, you know, because like everything else for a while there, I was being, you know, an achiever. Yes. So my type A would come into it and be like, today I meditated for 20 minutes and tomorrow will be 25 minutes. It's like, no, that's fine. That's great. Meditate for three hours if you want, but it's not a competition. So like, and I actually found going in the other direction was more impactful for me. Keep it short. If I go past, I can't think of the last time I met it, like just sat did meditation for more than certainly more than 20 minutes and i'd say probably more than 15 outside of that group i was in we do about 20 minutes yeah one of my past guests julianne otis spoke mm-hmm. about how meditation i love this analogy it, it's she treats it like brushing her teeth where it's mm-hmm. like you don't you wouldn't brush your teeth once a week for an hour and then say yeah i'm good i don't need That's to do right. it again it's, That's right. You do it you do it every day and so the consistency is always step one and then yes once you're consistent, if it serves you to do it for a longer period of time, 15, 20, 30 minutes, whatever it is. Right. And, uh, you know, it, as long as you're building on top of the consistency in your mm-hmm. foundation, that's most important. And this to jump in on that is interesting because you talked about self-leadership and we were talking about Seth. And isn't that that you just described essentially the same thing as we're talking about with Seth? It's not super complicated. If you think about like, what are the sort of the, the core things? Go, 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 right? Uh, generosity, be generous, right? Like, this is some pretty, 
there's a few fundamental things. If you get those concepts, you're going to make it through a lot of what we're talking about in Akimbo. And I think, yeah, just if you could just show up every day and are that, show up every day and help others show up every day, right? Yes. Eventually, you're like, I've got a podcast. Uh-huh. Yeah. And here we yeah. are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. Well, this is this going to seem like a little bit of a left turn, but okay. I'm I'm curious. You've worn, as we've touched on, you've worn a lot of different hats over mm-hmm. your career, and you still do. That you're so many mm-hmm. different areas. So even on a, what seems to be a connected level, you you could be like a podcaster, then you're yeah. a football coach, then professionally yeah. you're uh, you know, a leadership coach, mm-hmm. and. As so, you said as a child, you were in a mostly white school as a young mm-hmm. black kid, mm-hmm. and you played football. So, like, you've been in so many different uh, realms of life, walks of life. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I've ever heard you speak about this, but it, mm-hmm. it must have been challenging to find your sense of identity or like mm-hmm. where, where do you truly belong if your your hat is in so many different arenas. Is that something that you struggled with at any point, like finding your identity? Is that something you still struggle with? Yeah, no, it's, that's that's incredibly insightful. And uh, probably an example of what I was saying earlier about the, the listening, like you really have heard, you know, you, you heard me pass words I said, so that's, that's really cool. Yeah, there, there, there were challenges. I'd say in high school, there was a lot of me planting my flag and saying like i i am black and that has certain import and and has a certain impact on my experience of this place and and i'm gonna talk about that openly sometimes it was well received sometimes it was less well received but i definitely felt that i was resisting something i felt like i don't want to be a sellout like that was a real concern of mine. And so that there was that. But what you but the way you described it there is being in the different world. So that's like the one sort of like that's like, you know, Flatbush versus Polly, right? But for me, you're right. I was I was president of the Glee Club uh-huh. and a three sport athlete. Like that don't that don't go together. Like what are you <laughs> what are you doing, yeah. brother? And and so I did have in many time at many points in my life this sense of like, well, I don't belong here and I don't belong there. And interestingly, I was watching The Wire uh, years ago, and Avon Barksdale. For those of you who watched The Wire, was sort of like this kingpin kind of character. Actually, I know Wood Harris. So it's funny how life works, but yeah, Wood Wood's a good guy, and so. Uh, Avon is talking to um, Stringer Bell, who is like his first, his top lieutenant, and it's sort of near the end of their relationship. Like things have definitely gone left, and Stringer Bell was always trying to like get them to go legit and like all this kind of stuff. And he said, "That's your problem. You don't fit in downtown with them businessmen, and you sure don't fit in here." And I'm surely paraphrasing it, but he said, "And you sure don't fit in here." Your problem is you a man with no nation. Mm. And I promise you, it was like Wood, Avon, the writers, the director, everybody. Like, it was like they reached out of my television and slapped me across the face, man. Oh. It was it was just a staggering moment. I was like, I am Stringer Bell. Mm-hmm. You know, like I 
I knew, I knew, I'm related to people who dealt drugs. I, I knew people who dealt drugs. I, I visited people in prison because they got caught trafficking drugs. And one time in particular, I'll, you know, I, I visited Sing Sing on a Sunday afternoon to visit someone who was inside for trying to try bring drugs into the country. And by that night, I was in a Yale dorm sleeping in my twin bed. Mm. And I remember staring at the ceiling like, <laughs> this, is, this is the craziest thing ever. I mean, this, this is insanity. So yeah, it's been, it's been sort of tricky. And it's funny, you, you, you really touched on something that plays into my leadership style. And I don't know that I've ever thought of it quite this way until you framed it this way. It is really important to me that people not feel alone. Yeah. That is really like personally important to me. And I will go way out of my way to make sure that somebody doesn't feel alone. And I think some of that was, I mean, in some ways I had really good friends who, you know, we supported each other and so on, but in some ways that can be lonely when you feel like I don't belong here, but I don't belong there. You know, here I am at Yale, but everywhere I go, people ask me for ID. I don't belong there. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's a tricky, it's a tricky place to live. And so coaching kids, you know, I always used to laugh, you know, the woman ran the sports program at the time, she'd always laugh at me because there would always be some, you know, I call them knuckleheads. I love them. So, you know, it's, it's, it's affectionately so, but I, man, I just had a radar for knuckleheads. Like sometimes I'll just be like, Hey, I just met this kid. She's like, Oh my God, you, you didn't tell that kid to come off of the TV. You're like, yeah, he's a great kid, you know? <laughs> and, but I, I, I never wanted anybody to feel out of it. Um, it's really important to me that every kid, you know, people talk about participation trophies really disparagingly. And I have a whole rant I could do on that. Mm. But, but, but the short version is, I think there should be participation trophies. You were there, you were part of the team. And, and if, I tell people all the time, if your participation trophy is meaningless, it's because you allowed being a member of this team to be meaningless. Yeah. So that's on you, coach. Don't put that on the kids. Oh, it means it should mean something to every kid. They were on your team. It should mean something. It doesn't mean they're going to the NFL, but it should mean something. And if it and if it meant nothing, that's on you, coach. Mm-hmm. That's on you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I never want that's a that's a big thing for me, man. I don't I, I don't like for anybody to feel alone. Me too. And uh, I'm I'm wondering now, as you say that, if that is something I'm sure most coaches bring an element of that into their work of the, this attitude of cultivating belonging. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, even for me, who, you know, I haven't I haven't really had my identity wrapped in too many different things. It's mm-hmm. it's challenging to step into, you know, there was the more like quiet, reserved Michael who was an accountant and a good athlete. And mm-hmm. I've slowly opened myself up more into being more public about myself and coaching and being more of a, like a gentle and uh, emotional and feeling and warm and fuzzy type. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. to do that as a straight white male is Hmm. like i could see the privilege in that so i can only imagine how challenging it was for you and how it is for a lot of other people who don't have the same privilege Mm. that that i have Mm. so man it's such a it's such an important thing it's like that's what the world needs i think is just like i think so yeah i think so and and just to 
sort of piggyback there in terms of what the world needs. It's funny that you say it that way. I think, you know, without making, with get, not going down the, pol- the political side of it, but just looking at the phenomenon of MAGA. Yeah. Just looking at it as a phenomenon for a second. I think a lot of people, and this isn't, I'm not excusing, again, I don't want to go down the, pol- the political side of it right now, but a lot of people didn't feel a part of anything. Mm-hmm. And somebody came along and said, well, you could be a part of this. Yeah. And I think we need to be mindful sometimes when we make people feel outside, somebody will come along and make them feel inside. I tell people all the time, and I say it like I'm joking, but it's true. I said, look, I'm doing the same thing the Crips and the Bloods are doing. Uh-huh. I'm just doing it to tell these kids to do their damn homework and 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 believe in team and love one another, right? But I'm doing the same thing. I'm indoctrinating them. You know, we don't run, don't walk. Why? I mean, there's no lo- real law that says that, but on my team, you do not walk on the field. You run, don't walk, right? We instill these things. We believe in ourselves. We, 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 you know, we, we, come on, Red, right? I mean, that's what the Bloods are saying. They just say, right? So, I so I, I really believe that we 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 leave ourselves vul- we leave ourselves vulnerable to what I view as some pretty negative and ugly forces when we leave people feeling stranded and alone. Because somebody will come along and say, Oh, you can belong. Mm-hmm. And it's not always belong to something that's in your best interest yeah and this wasn't explicitly said just now but Mm -hmm. what what it's bringing up for me is that a lot of leaders i'll put in air quotes leaders Mm -hmm. in Mm -hmm. our country right now unify people around we are this and there's an enemy out there somewhere like there's something it's a fear-based way of galvanizing people and like this is the way we do things and everyone else is against us or something out there and a really effective galvanizing leader unifies around love or some sense of greater purpose or vision and i think people like get that and it's night it's like a nice uh bumper sticker like lead with love and not fear but it's it's a lot harder in actual practice and to live that in our life right but isn't that what brought us together i mean in a way in an interesting way you know we talk again you know like oh so so seth the honorable seth says but like it's isn't that there i mean i feel like that's i feel you just described a kimbo Mm -hmm. i feel like you just described a kimbo everybody coming in different people are going to be different places not everybody's going to end up making a podcast that's sort of you know that's okay right it's okay if you do the course five times and then do there's just a the 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 arms are wide open and you're encouraged to do that for everyone else i mean the fact that and you know not to be too you know detailed and inside baseball about akimbo but the the fact that there's a tab that says needs reply like that's a that's a choice that was made somebody said hey there's going to be a lot going on And we don't want everybody answering three people and some people being left out in the cold. And I I use that. Not just now as a remarkable, but even when I was a student, I would be every once in a while, you know, I'm going through and maybe I made it through all my notifications and I just click needs reply. 
And I met some new people that way. I think that's a real thing. And I think what you're saying about love is so important. And it's, it's you know, it feels touchy-feely and you can get a lot more, you know, clicks by, uh, you know, screw them. <laughs> but um, yeah, man, that's the only, that's, that's really the only thing. And I don't, I'm not pretending I live this way every day. I want to live this way more days than I don't. But that's the only thing that's going to save us at this point. I mean, if, if I don't care what you're talking about, climate, I don't care if you, it doesn't matter. Yep. Immigration, it doesn't matter. I don't care. Take me to anything you want to talk about. Cornell West says uh, that justice is what love looks like in public. Mm-hmm. And uh, I believe that. And I believe if we can conduct ourselves in a, in a loving way, that uh, we'll, be, we'll just be a lot better off. And it plays into, uh, I'm sorry, I, I know I kind of paused there, but it plays into some of what we've been talking in it, about today in terms of my coaching, both yeah. sports and the personal performance coaching. A woman gave me a testimonial uh, recently, we you know, released a video and, and the thing she said, and it's so funny because it touched me, but I didn't necessarily think other people would react to it quite the same way, but so many people have commented. She says, it's not life coaching. It's love coaching. And I was Ooh. like, that's amazing. Yeah. I was like, I don't, I'm not sure there's any other testimony. What is it? What's left to say? And that made me, yeah, that made me kind of emotional, man. I was like, good. I'm, I am so glad that was your experience. I'm so glad that you got that from me, that I look at you and I see an amazing human being. And I can't wait for you to do this thing that you're dreaming of. And insofar as I have the power to in any way help you get an inch closer, just know I'm gonna do it. Yeah. Wow. I, I felt my heart open up hearing that. That what a line. It's not <laughs> it was amazing. coaching, it's love coaching. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, that's beautiful. It was like I had written it. I was like, oh my goodness, you know. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, well, job well done. And I before we get to the the back end of the interview, I wanted mm-hmm. to talk about you, you said that there was a kind of a next iteration of yeah. your of your coaching practice. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm it's a line, a line performance. And so I yeah. want to know about what the next iteration is. And I will also yeah. want to know like, what is, why is aligned the word that you chose and what does alignment mean to you? A, a word that carries weight for me too. Yeah. I, I, that, yeah. All, all topics I love. So what we've moved into now, we've created an online community called we align. So it's at we align one word dot align P is in align performance.com. And essentially what we've created their levels so people can kind of go to the level of, you know, commitment and, and engagement that they're that they're wanting, but a space within which people can work together spiritually it's a lot like a Kimbo where people can be working together having these conversations about performance having these conversations about being their best selves and being and living their best lives and so for me optimally you know we've, we've been up since the first of the year and, and and right now it's you know late January so it's very early on but for me I would love to look out into the world and have people say, you know, oh yeah, you know, I started this business or I did that or I, and that it all came through being a part of the community, people maybe even meeting each other and building in that way. But the spirit of it is that we're better together. And actually that's the the tagline I've been using is uh, aligning who we are, where we are and where we wanna go together. 
and uh, the same thing with the, you know, being our best selves, living our best lives together. And I, I just think there's a lot of value there. And sometimes I think there's value there just in knowing oh, today was hard, mm-hmm. but somebody else out there is having a hard day too. And actually somebody else out there who I know and like and have cheered for is having a great day. And yeah. so good. And tomorrow's another day and we'll, yeah. and we'll get back at it. Yeah. So that's, that's been that piece. So alignment as a concept, I really, I had to figure out what I was going to do next. I really did. And so I started to say, well, how have, when I've been successful, I didn't feel very successful at that time, but I said, but when I've been successful, how'd I do it? That's how I, and I started, I mean, I was like, you know, they tell those stories about like, oh, we always knew so-and-so was going to be an engineer because he was always, you know, taking stuff apart. I sort of did that intellectually. And I was seriously like, eh, yeah, like, you know, you had a rough spot senior year of football and then you kind of, you know, and then you ended the season well and okay. And, and I um, really got clear that it was when everything was going in the same direction. When what I was, do- I, I, t- I say it over and over to people, it's yeah. align who you are, where you are and where you want to go. That's, I, I mean, that is like, <laughs> I'm sure some of my clients hear that in their sleep. And, and, and so I, it really, that became in, so we developed a methodology around it and all that, but at its heart, it's about really asking yourself some real questions about what's important to you, where you really want to go, not where I think is a good idea for you to go or what you're seeing, you know, on Instagram or whatever. It's like, truly, where do you want to go? And what's the experience you want to have when you get there? But at the core of it is always not, and I joke about this, it's not be yourself. Because <laughs> yeah, sometimes that's not always the best idea. <laughs> but But it is be your best self. And when I'm able to bring my best self, whether I'm being a father, a husband, a a football coach, a basketball coach, a driver on the 405, I'm most likely to be doing it at my best level. I'm most likely to be having the kind of impact on people that we've talked about me wanting to have. And I've been blown away by the number of people who we, we found that for them. And then I've just watched them carry it from one place in their life to the other so powerfully. So much of what we do is the example I give people is like starting a business. You know, I say, you say to me, you want to start a business. And I say to you, okay, so you've got to go down to the SBA and get this form. And then you go here and you pay this. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Before we do all of that, (laughs) right? Let's get clear on like, what's going on here? Why do you want to create a business? What's the experience you expect to have? And like, what's the right business for you? You mentioned being an accountant earlier. It's funny. I used to always say, why couldn't I have just wanted to be an accountant? Like, especially when things were in Hollywood were a mess, I'd be like, oh my God, like, why can't, why, what's, why, why, you know? And I took the uh, Myers-Briggs, which I'm sure a lot of folks have done that assessment. Yeah. And the number one job under, this would be a horrible job for you, was accountant. <laughs> what is your Myers-Briggs, by the way? It's, uh, it's uh, E-N-F-J, but sometimes I get E-N-F-P depending on, you know, yeah, I yeah. guess or whatever but yeah he had after and so it was just so funny to me that you know here i was sort of holding this up as like oh why can't you be normal like everybody else 
and it was like, whatever you do, don't do that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, But yeah, it just became clearer and clearer to me that I'm at my best when I'm doing stuff that allows me to be Orlando. And whenever I put myself in a position, whether it's working in some office or whatever, where I've got to be a thing that's outside of Orlando, it always goes absolutely miserably. It, and so that was, that's been at the core. And I, and I, I, I oof, man, to say I believe in it is not even like really capturing. I just truly, I encourage everyone and I'm like, and it may not line up with mine. That's fine. That's great. As a matter of fact, it yeah. probably won't. But what's yours? And how can you be? How can you be true to that? And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's been it's 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 served me really well. But I'm super excited about We Align. Um, folks are signing up. I think we're you know starting to get some content on there. I'm gonna have some people going to be contributing regularly. I'm excited about that. For everything from fitness to general wellness to there's a woman who's coming in and talking about career advancement on a regular basis and yeah i'm really fired up yeah i'm fired up for you that that sounds great it sounds like you're you're taking a lot of the things that when we were in community together in in seth's uh akimbo workshop you're Mm -hmm. using a lot of the same things for yours and yeah there's going to be an exponential effect that who who knows where all this goes so i'm i'm really excited for you and Thanks. I hope that yeah, if people are listening, that they'll they'll feel inspired to check more out about it. Absolutely, so, absolutely, they're welcome. So uh, towards the end, I just wanted to ask you yeah. a, a few more rapid fire type of questions. Got it. So when when you hear the word successful, mm-hmm. who's who's the first person that comes to mind for you, and why? Huh. I think I'd, I'd say Jimmy V. Jim Valvano, yeah, uh, for okay. those of you who aren't uh, coach, I love sports documentaries. I'm sure that's not shocking after you know our conversation today, uh, but I love sports documentaries. And again, it's because I that human part. It's for me. It's not always the bounce of the ball. It's like the people. It's the yeah. all that stuff. And if I probably it's somewhere between him and and Dick Vermeil, who also a very emotional coach, mm-hmm. who are closest to who I believe, like if I had truly gone down that sports coaching road to that level, you know, not, you know, I've coached high school and so on. I think I'd be most like them. I think I'd, you know, hug players, you know, by my players now, I hug them, I tell them I love them. I just texted a kid I haven't coached in three years. (laughs) Just say, hey buddy, man, you been on my mind. How you doing over there? You know, oh, I'm good coach. You know, I miss you too. And you know, so it's, it's fun, but, um, yeah, Jimmy V and, and and quickly, this is not rapid fire. Sorry. Yeah, go but, ahead. But Jimmy V, um, the other thing is when he was sick, and this is in the documentary uh, about him, that uh, he said to Coach K that he wanted to win this fight against cancer, but he was running out of time. He's like, I need more time. I need more time. And that's what birthed the Jimmy V Foundation. Like he thought like a coach. <laughs> he yeah. was like, I oh oh I'm about to foul out or however you want to put it. How do I he's like, well, let's extend the game. Uh-huh. And I and it just it tickled me. Talk about like being true to who you are. It tickled me that even in that moment, in this unbelievable way, he still thought like a coach. He was like, I can extend the game. So anyway, there you go. I'll be I'll be more rapid now. I'll be more rapid. Now. No, that's it's great. It's the, the questions are rapid. The answers don't have to be. We've, we've, got, <laughs> we've got plenty of time. 
I also didn't realize how much we shared a love for sports, but conversation mm. for another time. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So this one usually gets people a little bit on their heels. Okay. But, uh, what's a what's a belief or if you had to pick a belief or a slogan, a motto that you live by, what mm. would it be? A slogan that I live by. Do what you can from where you are with what you have. Mm, yeah, I love that. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah that probably be that. Yeah, there are a few that jumped, but yeah, I think that's probably yeah. You say it one more time. Do what you have. Do what with... you can. Do what you can from where you are with what you have. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Books or resources that you have found the most useful. It doesn't mm. need to be in any particular phase of your life, but just like when I say that, what comes? What first comes to mind is. Well, it's funny. I just answered that because I'm, I'm helping out with the new podcasting workshop. So, um, oh, of course, now my my brain isn't giving it to me. Joy was not finding joy. I'll tell you in a second, but yeah. I'll come back to that one. But I also had um, the power of now was a big shift for me. Autobiography, the autobiography of Malcolm X was a big mm -hmm. book for me. I'm trying to think of other. The first time I read Bell Hooks, and now I'm going to, of course, not remember which was the first of, but I read a book of her, I think it was Yearning, but at any rate, I just never read anybody like that. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know, she just, she was like on another level with her thinking. I was like, I never seen anybody make a, the points quite the way you make them. And I, that was, that was deeply impactful. We just lost her recently. And then the other person I never met or couldn't pick out of a lineup if I'm really honest, although I'm sure I've seen pictures at some point. There was a guy named Derek Bell. Mm -hmm. And I read um, And We Are Not Saved was a book that um, my freshman year at Yale, a lot of times freshmen couldn't take this class, but this judge was teaching the course and I wrote him this long thing about why I wanted to take blacks in the law. And so he let me into the class. And it was one of the best experiences I had at Yale. And he had us read um, and we are not saved, which was a book of sort of these like fake case studies. But what it is, and some of your listeners will have heard this phrase recently, it was actual critical race theory, not the stuff that they're like screaming about on TV. Uh -huh. And and I just there were these things I'd felt and felt like I looked out into the world and was like, man, this game is rigged. But it was the first time somebody in an organized way, for me at least, had laid out like this is how it's rigged mm -hmm. and so it's just this moment where i was like it's not just a feeling and i'm not crazy and that was a big deal for me that was a it was a really big deal for me to just have that that affirmation that nah you're not crazy <laughs> right yeah. i mean it doesn't change anything else doesn't change what you need to do doesn't change but just like no you're not crazy this is not playing out according to the rules you've been told and here's some of the ways that that is 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 happening so not a not a comprehensive list but those joy on demand see i knew it would come yeah, back to there me. you go joy on demand and that one's um really about mindfulness and actually mindfulness in the workplace without giving away too much of what goes on in the book but it's really a story of someone who like essentially started a mindfulness club and 
at their company and and as we walk through that and there are a lot of great lessons in there i mean it takes it so far that he that, that he meets the dalai lama like that's how big a deal this wow. thing became so uh but yeah joy on demand really uh was a big shift for me and, and and really impacted my thinking on a lot of things like i took some of the ideas from there they were so impactful for me that they've now shaped things i'm working on and wanting to bring to the world in terms of how i'm looking at some of this stuff yeah well, Orlando, my friend, we've covered a lot of ground, <laughs> but was there, is there anything that we didn't get to that you would like to share, bring up anywhere that you'd like to point yeah. our listeners to? Yeah, actually, the one thing I would say is reject is probably a strong word, but I don't agree with the born leader model. I think some people, and maybe I was one of those, like I had, I always kind of had a gift for speaking in front of people and, but, but that's not the only way to lead. And actually, interestingly in my life, I've had several really good friends, my friend Clive Andrews, I, I, I didn't mention him by name earlier, but who's also friends with my reverend, we've known each other since we were 10 years old, he beat me in the spelling bee, we've been com competing ever since. Okay. And you know, but I've always had these close friends who actually were very unlike me in that way. I've always had these really close friends who were much more the quiet guy in the group. And I was always impressed by them. My friend Jason White, I remember telling him in college, like, man, Jason don't say much, but I'll tell you what, when he opened his mouth, everybody shuts up and it's always worth it. I mean, it's always worth it. The man did not waste syllables. And I just always was in awe of that, that kind of power. So I would say, whoever you are and wherever you are, you can lead. And I guess it's an alignment question. Like, yep. think about who you really are and lead in that way. Yeah, man. So, Great conversation. It was, man. This was this was rich. And and I'm not letting you off the hook just yet. Just all right, couple, all right, all right. Couple more things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, where I mean, you already mentioned your website, your company, but are there other yeah. areas that you're active that you'd point people to uh, connect with you, follow you? Sure. So you know, sort of the the standard, you know, at OG Bishop on Twitter, at BK Two LA, sort of basically Brooklyn to LA uh, on IG. Um, I'm by my full name, Orlando Bishop, on Facebook, and Align Performance has a Facebook page too. You can check out. So that's all there, and. Um, yeah, just generally speaking, I just love a great conversation. And if you want to connect in those places and talk leadership or come through We Align and talk leadership or all the in performance, I'm always up for that conversation. So I'd look forward to it. Awesome, Orlando. And yeah. uh, the, the final question that I ask every single one of my guests, mm -hmm. the podcast is called Mike's Search for Meaning. Mm. I'm interested in your terms for Orlando. Mm -hmm. What does it mean to you to live a meaningful life? To help the people around me be great. Period. Stop. That's, that's it. Orlando, thanks so much for all the work that you do, for all the hats that you wear. Uh, it's It's been an inspiration, like I said, since day one. Oh, to wow. thanks, man connected with you and uh, to see all the different ways that you're able to show up for people and help draw out people's greatness. It's, yeah, it's been an inspiration for me to get started with my podcast as well. There were times when we were in the workshop together that mm. I just, I didn't think it was for me. And you were one of the people that were able to stand for me and say like, hey, 
I've been overwhelmed before. Like mm -hmm. you're mm -hmm. able to hold the accountability and also put your arm around me at the same time. And uh, yeah, I'm sure you, you showed up like that for many people in your life. I'm sure my listeners are getting a taste of that just from this conversation as well. So I just want to say, I really appreciate you, man. I really, I, I appreciate everything you just said really, truly, uh, you know, I think uh, a lot of you, Mike, I'm glad you're doing the podcast. I really am over. I was so happy to get that message. I was like, absolutely. Let's do it. But I want to say this, and it's a great example of what I just pointed out about. You can lead in so many different ways. Yeah. When you showed up on the boards and said, I don't know, man. <laughs> like, I don't remember the exact words you used, but you were basically like, there's a lot, and I don't know. Maybe it's not for me. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember it this way, because sometimes when we're the one in the middle of the storm, we, you brought so many people together. Yes. You brought so many people together because you had the courage. We were all feeling some version of it or had at some point in the process, but you were the one who had the courage to stand up and go, hey, man, this is what's going on with me. And I feel like that was a turning point for a lot of us, not necessarily individually with our projects, but I think it was a turning point for us as a group because then no one had to pretend anymore. Like it was just like, yes, this is hard and we're going to keep going. And then I thought it allowed us to link arms and go. And, yes. and is, is part of a big part, I think of the reason why I smiled so much when the message came through from you, because I was like, Oh, it's Mike. And, and part of it's Mike is, that you you had that courage, man. You 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 stood up, and that's not an easy thing to do to be vulnerable. But you gave so many people permission to be vulnerable, and I think that gave them permission to keep going. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. Thanks for that recognition, man. And, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So for all of the listeners, I I know that you got a lot out of this conversation, and I hope that as we wrapped up and we talked about all the different ways that we can lead and showing up vulnerably that wherever you are, like if you have something that you want to move towards, you have it in you. Uh, there's, if you just step into it and you surround yourself with the right people, man, it's, it's unimaginable what can come from that. So uh, whenever you're listening, have a great rest of your day and night or night rather, and uh, take good care. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to Mike's Search for Meaning. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, share this episode with your friends, and leave a review. I look forward to seeing you next time, my friends. And until then, stay safe, stay well, and keep living with purpose. Peace.